Welcome to Now Playing's review of The King of Fighters. Welcome to Rugal's version of the tournament. In this arena, I make all the rules. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. Now the real games begin. Hosted by Arnie. You got beat up a lot as a kid, didn't you? No. Justin. And it's no secret he likes to show off. And Stuart. Well, it looks like we have a little party here. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Ooh, it's a bit barbaric, isn't it? Listener discretion is advised. The fun has just begun. Today we're discussing The King of Fighters, starring Sean Ferris, Maggie Q, Will Yun Lee, Ray Park, David Leach, directed by Gordon Chan. This is the king of podcasters, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is Justin. And I recognized one of those names in there. Yeah, David Leach, director of John Wick and stuntman extraordinaire. I don't think they were looking for actors for this. You Remember, even George Lucas, who was fine with whatever Jake Lloyd did, looked at Ray Park and was like, yeah, we're going to change that voice actor up. <laughs> Well, welcome back to the Now Playing Arcade. It has been a hot minute since we were running around with Sonic. <laughs> I have always wanted to know, guys, I don't think we've covered one yet. What the hell is a Neo Geo? And did you ever know anyone that had one? I never knew anyone who had one the same way I didn't know anyone who drove a Bentley. I remember when these came out. It was around the time of the Sega Genesis. I talked about it with my friends. I can't remember if you were one of them. But I remember seeing ads and I was reading gaming magazines. Neo Geo, the $600 -hmm. home console. Now, this is when the Genesis was out for $190. Neo Geo came out for $600. And each game for the Neo Geo was $200 to $250. Right, yeah, it was this premium thing. And yet, what it boasted was something that was still unattainable even by 16-bit standards. You would actually have a coin-op at home. It it promised to be as good or better than what you put your quarter into. Well, it was as good as because it literally was the same machine. Here's Mm. what happened is the Neo Geo is actually an arcade cabinet. If you were running an arcade and you wanted to change games, sometimes you'd have to yourself rip out the guts of it and you know because it's the same monitor and often the same joysticks but you'd have to replace all these boards and all the decals and things so snk is the name of the company and i'm not going to butcher the japanese name that it stands for but we'll just call them snk they decided they could build a better arcade cabinet and they built the neo geo arcade cabinet which they sold to pizza places and what have you and Now, if you wanted to change games, all you had to do was open the back and change cartridges. And you could have four or six cartridges in at a time, depending which model you got. And they realized the hardware for this was only costing them a few hundred dollars or so. So they realized they could actually sell that exact hardware to the home market. And if you played and they put nice joysticks, I mean, with the $600, you got two sturdy-ass arcade-style joysticks and things, and you were playing literally the exact same code, the same graphics, the same everything on a Neo Geo as you were in the arcade. I mean, to put it in perspective, 
the Sega Genesis, which we have talked on and on about, about how impressed we were when we saw it, at any one time could have on the screen 64 colors and 80 sprites or moving objects. The Neo Geo, at one time, could show 4,100 colors and have 380 sprites. Yeah, it sounds impressive, but in the end, like, I didn't know any of the games for it. It was like they needed something to pull me in. Because I was probably crazy enough. You know, I had a part-time job at that point. I was pulling in some showbiz pizza money. (laughs) And I probably, if there was something on the level of a Sonic that this system had, I probably would have saved up for five weeks and bought a Neo Geo. See, that's the thing I felt they lacked, is a killer app. I looked up SNK. What games did they make, you know, before Neo Geo? Because they were founded in the 80s. There's a few I did play. There was one called Vanguard. If you guys remember Vanguard, it was a side-scrolling spaceship where you could shoot up, down, backwards, forwards. I do, yep. There was an Atari version of it also. Yep. I vaguely remember that. And then there was an NES game, but it was an arcade first, called Akari Warriors, which was like the first shoot 'em game to put you in a jungle and give you real world weapons instead of like a space thing. And it was coming out right around the time of Rambo First Blood Part Two, so it felt like you were shooting up the Vietnamese and <laughs> people were into that in the eighties. Okay. So living out my Vietnam War post traumatic stress disorder. Okay. I it has an appeal to someone, not me at that time. But yeah, the Neo Geo, here's what shocked the hell out of me. The arcades came out in 1989, and when they started with the home model, they actually... Do you you ever go to a hotel, and they had, like, video games and a system there? It was trying to entice you to bring your kids there and put them in front of the TV? Uh, Vaguely, yes. I I know that that was... It never worked for me, but yes. Yeah, I remember hotels that had the, like, controller that sat on top of the TV. There was no box. Like, that was all just part of the system, and you could play games on a channel. Yeah. The Neo Geo was intended to be rented to hotels. It was supposed to be a rental machine or a professional entertainment at that price. But what happened is hardcore gamers were really into this. And it is a luxury item. It was a niche thing. It's kind of like... I would equate it to a Leica camera. If you don't know what a Leica camera is, you're like, well, how does that compare to my Canon or my Nikon? It's like, well, you can have a Canon or a Nikon, or you can spend, you know, add a zero to that and buy the Leica. And that's kind of where the Neo Geo was. It continued to sell on the market for about a decade and continued to put out games Eventually, they came out with the Neo Geo CD. This was around the time of the PlayStation 1. It's the exact same Neo Geo, but now they could sell you the games for $40 because literally the cartridges for the first Neo Geo were the size of a VHS tape (laughs) and had $150 of hardware in each cartridge. Okay. Yeah, so we don't (laughs) want to pay for that. All right. Yeah, I'm kind of waiting for Neo Geo to make a comeback nowadays because, I mean, go to any Walmart and you can see there's like this resurgence of buying mini arcade cabinets to build and put together at home. They actually had one of those, you know, like the NES Classic things. They put out a Neo Geo Classic that had a whole bunch of the games and, you know... Because now you can run the Neo Geo so easily. I have a ton of Neo Geo games on my Raspberry Pi, and that's a very low-powered computer by today's standards. And it has the perfect graphics, the perfect controls. But 
it actually didn't sell well because Neo Geo doesn't have the name recognition, which is why when Stewart said, we missed a video game movie called The King of Fighters, I'd never heard of the game, I'd never heard of the movie, <laughs> and it's simply not the American one. Again, I think King of Fighters is to fighting games what the Neo Geo itself is to consoles. If you were really into fighting games, this was considered one of the most groundbreaking. It did things that then the Street Fighters would rip off, like having tag team fights and things, and fighting gamers love it, but when they put out, they did port them to the Super Nintendo and the Genesis. They'd sell 50,000 copies, where Street Fighter 2 sold millions of copies on each platform. So it is just a niche thing, and why do you make a movie of it? That I do not know. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting question, but it's interesting. You, you mentioned Street Fighter. I didn't play this game. You can tell me if there's anything different about it than all the other fighting games you and I have played, Arnie. I, is there something unique about the control or the characters or the world yes kind of okay here's what i would say as i played the first one i had to go out remember i got the ps vita i was living la vida loca well i could only find this game unless i wanted to buy a neo geo system for the psp which was the portable one that took little cd discs and i had to put it in i was able to get a really cheap one on ebay and it had the snk arcade classics collection what I didn't realize is all of these games were on my Raspberry Pi under T for the. So you spent money you didn't need to. Well, this sounds like Neo Geo all over. <laughs> just burn it, you know, like while you're playing, just smoke a C note cigar. Well, at least now I have a UMD player so I can buy all my movies again on mini CD. But I played the hell out of the first game. And then I played 14 a lot, which just came out for the PlayStation 4. They're still making these games. Yeah, there's over 14 games. This first one came out in 94. It's that's how it's known. And it really started in 1991, or maybe even before that. I did a little research on the characters because I was tasked with watching some of the anime and some of the other peripheral stuff. Terry Bogard... One of the characters in this movie goes all the way back to Street Fighter in 1987. He was developed for that game, and then they didn't use him, and the people that developed it went and left Capcom, went to SNK, and said, let's give Terry his own game, Fatal Fury? Yeah, this is... And it wasn't like he was ever a Street Fighter character. It was a character model. It was a white guy in a leather coat, basically. And they're like, let's make a white guy in that red leather coat, but give him a game. Fatal Fury King of Fighters was the 1991 and SNK really trying to be like, Street Fighter 2 is huge. Fighting games are huge. Let's get into that. They called it Fatal Fury King of Fighters. And the people at SNK were like, King of Fighters, that's a really good subtitle. We need to just make that a game at some point. Then in 1994, they did King of Fighters, and they called it King of Fighters 94. And it was almost like a Super Smash Brothers, because they brought in characters from Fatal Fury, 
and they brought in characters from something called Samurai Showdown, which was another fighting game of theirs that really looked anime. And then they had a game called Art of Fighting. They brought in characters from all these other games. Plus, they had original characters to this game as well. So it was kind of like an Avengers team-up. Again, if you know Neo Geo game <laughs> characters, which nobody in this country really did. But it's probably a big deal if you love Terry Bogard to see him finally make it to King of Fighters 94. I guess it's something. At that time, though, Street Fighter 2, when it came out, it had eight playable characters and then a couple bosses. Then they came out with, like, Turbo Edition. You could play as the bosses, and they'd add a few characters. When this came out, here's the things that makes it unique. It started with 24 characters, but they were teams of three. And so you'd pick your team. And so I'd play as Brazil, or I'd play as Japan, or the United States. Yeah, case in point, in Fatal Fury, the first team, it was Terry Bogard, his brother, and then some third wheel, all trying to get vengeance on their father being dead, which is a storyline that actually will get co-opted by some of the King of Fighters anime stuff. They, they will keep that in continuity. But King of Fighters, I'm just going to put it out there. Yes, like Street Fighter 2, if you win, there are these little cutscenes with sentences, and if you beat the game, there's a couple of lines, but these are not plot-driven games. This is not like Tekken, where I felt like it was a fighting game, but also an adventure game that had a big plot. This is very much like Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat, where you gotta really suss out a plot. Well, for what I understand, there are bare bones here from this movie in that King of Fighters 94, there was the big boss was Rugal, and he apparently liked to turn fighters into statues, and one of the other teams, uh, Team Japan, was led by Kyo Kusanagi, so there is some connection here. It gets, as they went along, it's really an adaptation of the first three or four games. Yeah, well, King of Fighters 94 stood alone. With King of Fighters 95, 96, and 97, they did a trilogy. Again, really, really loose. Like, nobody gave a shit about the story, but they wrote one anyway. And this movie, the thing you're talking about with the statues and things, is actually King of Fighters 96. Mm -hmm. So this movie most closely goes to King of Fighters 96. But I'll tell you right now, there were no Bluetooth headsets, no parallel dimensions. <laughs> You know? <laughs> well, they got to update it. I mean, you can't, you can't just be living in 1996, you know, 2010 when they decide to make this. But when I played these games, what made it unique was the team play. And that in every other game I've ever played, Tekken, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, you have two guys and they're fighting and it's best two out of three, right? And every time you fight, one person gets knocked down, you start over and you have restored health. Everyone, since King of Fighters 94, you fight as you have teams of three, and one person from each team goes in and fights, and the winner continues on, but if you beat the hell out of them, they still lose some health. They may regenerate some, depending on which game you play, but if you get close to winning, then your next character can come in and just smack them and knock them down, and then you move on to the next one. I'd never seen a game that persisted your damage from fight to fight and that you went three in a row starting with king of fighters 95 and they put these out like fucking ea sports games there was one every year 
yes, King of Fighters 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000. And I'm playing all of these, and I'm like, why don't the graphics get any better? Because they're all <laughs> on the exact same Neo Geo hardware. <laughs> well, it's cool to hear that there were some innovative gameplay ideas there and some features that you couldn't find in other fighting games of the era. But I have to say, from a style standpoint of these games, it very much, just at a quick breeze, looks like a knockoff of Street Fighter. Oh, absolutely. The style, the pixelation, the side-to-side fighting, the score overlays, it's all very much Street Fighter looking. The other thing it did was it only had four buttons. I've never played a fighter where it's actually like hit these two buttons at the same time to do a block and hit these other two buttons at the same time to do a throw. It actually was really difficult to use a gamepad to play because you know you have i use one thumb tip so smashing my whole thumb against buttons was not fun i think this really demanded one of those arcade joysticks with the you know so you play with two hands eight buttons yeah Yeah, just pay pay (laughs) another two thousand dollars they probably give you one by the way the neo geo in today's dollars was about 1950 so you're not that far off But I loved some of the characters in this. That's the thing about all these games is the fighting, whatever. These games were fucking hard, though. Until I got to, like, the later ones that were developed for the Xbox and for the PlayStation, these things were difficult. I could not win very many fights. I I had to play probably 40 times before I could get most of the way through King of Fighters 1. And I got to know the characters. And... I was hoping to God some of them were in here. Unfortunately, only one was. One of my favorites was my... The character that Maggie Q's playing in the movie. Yes, who... IMDb trivia, so helpful. Maggie Q has a A A-cup breast, according to the IMDb trivia, whereas the my I played had a double F cup breasts and exaggerated jiggle for every single game. It was so outrageous that it was amusing to me. You've now explained their entire sales. Like, that's why they paid for it. Because back in the 90s, that would have still been relatively novel till they got to Tomb Raider. These games were before Lara Croft. So, all right, you want some TNA in your game? This was a pioneer of that. Well... Dead or Alive also was doing it, if you recall. Around 96. Yeah. Again, this is before all of that. And then my team was Korea. And there were two guys on there. I read online they were ex-criminals. One was named Chang, who was this giant guy who had a big ball and chain. Justin, if you want to think Marvel, remember the ball and chains that came with the Wrecking Crew? Oh, yeah. He fights with one of those, and I could just smash people with this big metal ball, and that was fun. There was a guy named Choi. I loved him from the beginning. He was a tiny Freddy Krueger. I mean, he had a striped sweater and a fedora, but he was a little person, and he wore two gloves, and it was a green sweater instead of a red, with two tones of green instead of red and green to avoid a lawsuit. I've got some good news for you, Arnie. <laughs> These people are in the animated movie. We're not covering. And then there was one named Lucky Globber, who the USA team, I mean, every team was so stereotypical. I do not know how Mai ended up on the UK team because she was a Chun-Li ripoff through and through. Yeah, but she stems all the way back to Fatal Fury 2. So I think she was tied to Terry Bogard okay. in that respect. But the American team was all sports players. And Lucky Glauber was a basketball player who was 
kind of like Magic Johnson, and you could like throw basketballs at people and bounce it around. And then his teammates, there was a boxer, of course, and a football player who was fighting in full pads. I was really hoping that some of these wacky-ass characters were going to show up in this movie. Unfortunately, no, I didn't get anything that I liked about the game out of the King of Fighters 2010 movie. Yeah, so why do this in 2010 if the heyday was a decade before? I mean, yes, they were still putting out less sporadically around this time. They were putting out a game. They did put out an anime a few years before tied to a game. It came with some of the, I guess they were discs by that point. It was called King of Fighters Another Day. It's only four episodes long. It didn't make any sense to me other than the fact that it has a lot of characters running around and someone setting the city on fire, but it was seen as part of the promotion. It's one thing to say, yeah, we'll whip up 25 minutes of animated computer graphics to try and sell this game, which again comes with a hefty price. It's another thing to say, yeah, let's make a live action feature that I can't think they were going to think it was going to play in america right like why would they think that this would catch on it's in english and yet i have to believe a large part of the fan base is in asia and they knew that i mean by keeping the names all asian and the and the main characters they really were playing to the home crowd and not trying to do too much outreach i think honestly the whole reason why this might have happened was that neo geo got its standard up that catcom had convinced Fox to make another Street Fighter movie. Chun-Li was coming out when this got greenlit. And so they were like, all right, we got to throw down. We got to be at least as good as Legend of Chun-Li. SNK didn't really exist by the time this movie came around. They declared bankruptcy in 03. The game changed hands and was owned by a couple different companies. And that's when they were like, okay, we're not going to do annual releases because we're going to new hardware now. We're not just changing the same game with new characters and new moves and we're going to spend time actually crafting games and making them 3d that's the one thing the neo geo could never do was 3d the playstation one is what killed the neo geo people suddenly liked 3d worlds like tomb raider and this was forever going to be side scrolling and so they moved it out of there I have no idea why they made this. This is a Japanese property in an American film made in Canada. Made in Canada. That's what I was about to say. Like, are you telling me they made this movie with knowledge that it was going to be on something more than just CBC Sunday afternoon? Yeah, I. they thought that they had enough here, you know, with direct-to-video and video on demand. I think they thought they could make some coin here in America. There's obviously some audience because the games do get released here, but their director, Gordon Chan is a fairly respectable Hong Kong director. He made a film that won the best picture in Hong Kong of its year, Beast Cops. I don't know it. He did a couple (laughs) Jackie Chan movies, The Medallion. I don't know it. He uh, wrote Hard Boiled, the John Woo movie. I didn't see it. But he has some clout, and I think that they thought that this was going to be a hit by Hong Kong movie standards. I like Hard Boiled. I got really excited. When I looked up this director, I thought we'd see him again. I'm like, oh, he made a movie of God of War? There's a God of War movie? Turns out it's a totally different movie not related to the God of War video games. But yeah, I saw he was a, a Hong Kong director, and... You never know. Sometimes these people can just be fans of a property. Again, this was huge in Asia. 
And the cast here, we'll talk about it as we get into it, but there are people I've seen before. Maggie Q took over La Femme Nikita at some point in that series. There, They kept changing Nikitas, right? Like, she was a blonde chick at the beginning. I don't know when she became Maggie Q, but she was in the fourth Die Hard movie. Sean Ferris was in a movie that was a hit I've never heard of called Never Back Down, karate film that made apparently $25 million in the States. I've never heard of him or it. He was the one actor... In this whole thing that I'm like, who is this person? I don't, I mean, I think I've seen a couple things that his name was on, but I do not know Sean Ferris at all. Yeah, there would have been a reason to believe in 2008 with his movie hitting that way, he could be the martial arts Tom Cruise. You'd want to get him for a project like this before he asked too much. And of course, Kariki's here from Electra. <laughs> <laughs> so we love this cast. It sounds like it could be good, bad, or so bad it's good. Could fall any different way. Uh, Arnie, let's find out. Yeah, I'm just going to say right now I'm very upset there's no fat guy with a Wrecking Crew ball that grabs his belly and laughs and no tiny Freddy Kruegers. If, if, there, was a, if there was a little person Freddy Krueger in here speaking Korean, instant recommend. Just someone make that movie, please. <laughs> Insert shot, really. <laughs> hey, and just before you get into telling us about the movie, Arnie, a little game I like to play with these movies is guess how many production companies are going to have logos before the credits? <laughs> um, eight. That, that's not too far off. I counted six unique production company logos before we got into the credits. Yeah, a lot of hands. Well, in this movie, Maggie Q plays Mai, a martial artist who's recently entered the King of Fighters tournament, a fighting competition that takes place in an alternate dimension where women wear sexy clothes and men dress like they're pimps. The fighters get to this dimension via Bluetooth earbuds. But Mai is actually an undercover CIA operative investigating this fight club. For reasons that I do not know. Undercover, she started dating Iori Yagami, played by Will Yun Lee, who is a former champion of the King of Fighters. And Iori takes Mai to a museum exhibition where three artifacts are on display. A necklace, a sword, and a mirror. <laughs> I don't think that's at a museum. I mean, it is, but I think that's the opening ceremonies. This is like how they're kicking off the tournament. They're at my local performing arts center is where they're at. The necklace and the mirror are somehow what allows entry into the parallel dimension using Bluetooth. I Even they are like, we don't understand our scientists. They're smart. But when combined with the sword, all three artifacts can call a mythical entity called the Orochi. <laughs> Is this making sense to anybody? <laughs> no, but I'm enjoying you watch, watching you flounder. <laughs> it's making me want to order sushi, though. I'll say that. <laughs> you want some Orochi roll? Tempura? The museum exhibit is interrupted by Rugal Bernstein, played by Ray Park. Rugal, st <laughs> I hate that name. Rugal steals the artifacts, wanting to awaken the Orochi and take over both the fighting realm and Earth. But the sword he stole was a fake, so the sword is this film's MacGuffin. Mai investigates Rugal and is taken to a hospital to see Saisu Kusangi, who has the real sword. Saisu is non-responsive, but Mai meets his son Kyo, played by Sean Ferris who's completely unaware of his family's ties to the Magical Fighting Championship. Remember, this is supposed to be about fighting? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kayo believes, believes Rugal caused his father's deterioration, so he aids Mai and Iori in pursuing Rugal. 
Mai's double identity as a CIA agent is revealed to Iori, but he still decides to help stop Rugal. The final confrontation is as the fighting dimension merges with Earth and the three fighters go to confront Rugal. There's some strife when Kyo discovers it was Iori who disabled his father when Iori merged with the Orochi years before and the two fought. But with Mia's help, they banish the Orochi from Iori and the three again fight Rugal. It comes down to Kyo and Rugal and Kyo seems defeated until he remembers his father's words of wisdom about being like water. And then Kyo becomes all-powerful, summons the sword from thin air, and uses it to burn Rugal to death. With Rugal gone, the two dimensions recede, and Kyo decides to continue the King of Fighter tournaments as credits roll. Yeah, as we start here, it helps to understand that Mai is some kind of desirable cyber babe. That she was a reason why people played so that they could watch her jiggle explains why she's so heavily featured in this movie because most of the anime most of the storylines such as they were were all about the guys it's always about terry and keo and iori everyone else was just sort of supporting did either of you guys ever see the episode of black mirror where two dudes go into a virtual video game similar to this and it's a fighting game, and so when they get in there, they pick their characters, and we go into their perspective in the game. We can see, oh, one of them's a, a beautiful, buxom girl, kind of like Chun-Li, and another one's a big, burly fighter guy. And they fight a little bit, and then they are making out and hugging and doing it, and then they get addicted to doing it in the virtual world together. <laughs> Those are a little bit of shades of that. Yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, it was, it was a great episode. I was hoping this movie kind of went that way, but we don't get too much of what's going on in the virtual world or very much explanation of how that's even happening other than a Bluetooth with some holographic floaty thing on the end. Yeah, what we get is Maggie Q coming out of the shower. And, like, that's all that they had there. And it really takes a while to understand what's happening. Like, something's dripping, and all of a sudden they're in a walk-in freezer. Like, <laughs> I did have to watch the scene three times to understand that there is a magical device that later we will learn is based on ancient artifact mystical powers that transports you to a realm where... Does she not have these powers in the everyday? Like, it would help me to know that, like, maybe she was in a wheelchair or, like, you know, had her leg in a cast or something like that. But when she goes to this dimension, I think you're enhanced in ways that you're not in the real world. I think the fighting skills exist in the real world. This isn't like Avatar where, you know, if you were disabled, you could be abled in the fighting realm. But I don't think you could shoot fire from swords in the real world. But I'm not positive of that. You might be able to. The only distinction the movie draws is a change of outfits, though, from a visual perspective. Like, the only thing would, that make you know we're in a virtual world is, like Stuart said, you're in a weird meat locker. And she's wearing, like, dominatrix leather outfit now. Garters. Garters are the key to this parallel dimension. Yeah, the more impractical the outfit, the better, apparently. And and it's reflected in the fighting itself. This is definitely one of those movies that as soon as you get to the opening credits, you know, we see this opening here, you know you can turn it off. It's like, oh, good. I'm good. Peace out. <laughs> this is bad. There's no reason to watch any more of this. All right. I also watched this opening three times, mainly because I fell asleep twice while watching this movie. It's barely clear as 85 minutes. <laughs> I just kept coming back and starting over. But the one scene that really bothers me is I think it's supposed to be a freeze frame where Maggie Q's Mai 
like does a double shove like just pushes with two hands mm. and then the camera's like going around her similar to the uva bowl house of the dead remember that was that one cool shot the, and it was actually a cool shot they had but then they overdid it here it looks like they're trying to do that but Maggie Q just looks so damn bored because this isn't a freeze frame matrix effect. This is her standing <laughs> as still as possible, not blinking while they move the camera around her. And it does not look cool at all. I actually thought, did he hypnotize her? Is that why she's standing there with a blank look on her face? Yeah, the fighting is really unimpressive from people that we know can fight. Like, everyone here has bonafides. She's on a martial arts show. Ray Park, we know his work as a stuntman. Sean Ferris is an up-and-coming fighter. No one at all will deliver a credible punch. Who's the dude in the pimp coat at this beginning? Well, his name is Sam, and we'll find out later he's just a wannabe fighter. He is actually working the door of the opening ceremonies. He's the bodyguard slash doorman. And I guess he figured he could maybe advance his station in life if he beats one of these prospective King of Fighters. Oh, that was the same guy? Yes. I didn't get that either, Justin. Don't feel bad. And I saw that scene three times. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This movie suffers a little bit from a bunch of generic white dude syndrome, though. I'll I'll give it that. Right. Confusingly with non-white names. But yes, it is a whole lot of samey-looking people. And samey kind of vibe. Like, the strange thing is, it's 2010, but it might as well be 1995. Because... The techno is going, the CGI effects look no better than they would have in Super Mario Brothers. I'm trying to figure out what the hell this ball of CGI snake is in the fight. She knocks down Mr. Furcoat, and this ball of snakes appears above him. It's the Orochi, but it takes me forever to find out that that's the Orochi. But the Orochi needs special tools to summon, right? He doesn't show up. Uh, unclear. Unclear what its role is in the games. Even when I look at the anime and all of that, it's there's different levels. We're to understand that overseeing all of this is a mystical power that goes all the way back to the time of dragons. I think that's the main thing to get, is that they have dragon power, which, by the way, Mortal Kombat, right? Like, didn't it have a dragon mascot? It just kind of looks like the Mortal Kombat icon floating around, reminding you, not even subliminally, that you wish you were watching Mortal <laughs> Kombat. And... That wasn't in any of the games I played. I've probably spent 40, 50 hours playing King of Fighter games. At no point did a ball of snakes show up that I could grab for superpower. Okay, I didn't know that. See, it's the kind of thing you insert only because it's going to be recognizable. The fact that they did this is mystifying. Maybe there is a part of a game, because they were hard, and so I didn't get that far in all of them. If it is, somebody please let me know. I don't claim to be an expert in these games, but I would have felt better about the Ball of Snakes if I knew it from the games. And the storyline about the Ancient Dragon kind of goes back to that first trilogy of games, but it wasn't an Ancient Dragon. It was Ancient Elementals, and one of the Elementals was banished and came back and wanted to take over this King of Fighters thing. It's That may be a translation thing, because it definitely, from what I read, it was based on Arachi, which is part of... Japanese Shinto religion. So there is a precedent for talking about an eight-headed serpent, and I think they were trying to give it some kind of Shinto cred. In the game, I saw the cutscene. 
It's a guy with an eight-headed serpent tattooed on his chest. Okay. <laughs> All right. So they decided to go mystical, and they decided not to spend very much money on the mystical. Or the lighting, really. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it can go one or two ways here. It's either crazy stupid or just like, man, this thing has got no energy, and why would anyone watch? I'm getting a lot more of the latter. If I were laughing, if this were felt like, oh, my God, this is so absurd, you'd want to keep watching. No, this very much much has the vibe of something that feels like you know one of those old again 90s shows highlander i just kept thinking about highlander i was thinking more about the tnt stuff specifically mortal Kombat the series which had cgi and things but really poorly done and just the back lots where this was filmed the giant warehouses where they couldn't be bothered to put up plaster the museum has the same bare cement walls as the CIA station later on. <laughs> I mean, they're not even trying to hide set reuse here. No, they'll even say that everything here, they're like, why does it smell? It's a fish cannery. And I'm like, I, I think that that was an ad lib piece of dialogue. <laughs> I think that's exactly what they did. They had a week in a fish cannery and these people were in Canada and said, okay, and so here we are, pretending that this is about some kind of video game, but really, it's about keeping your dignity. Well, you would think, with all these limitations, these production limitations that we just talked about, you would think, okay, great, we know we don't have a lot of production value here, let's really sell the fighting, let's just jump into action and make this an action-packed, wall-to-wall fighting movie. Uh, sorry, we've got about 45 minutes of going back and forth to a hospital and a museum and headquarters and falling asleep in our car on shots that last way too long. What am I watching here, guys? I was actually excited because pre-credits, we had a fight. And that was something I didn't like that Dead or Alive movie we reviewed, but one thing it did do right was had fights almost every single scene. And so that we opened with this fight, I'm like, okay, we're just going to have a fighting movie I'm very cool with that. And yeah, it was this first half hour that I dozed twice. And then even the time I stayed awake, I cannot follow some of the logic of... All right, no, I'm not going to use the word logic. I can't follow some of the plot things that happen here. I don't know why Maggie Q is a CIA agent undercover at this fighting ring. I don't know why... David Leach is a CIA operative in a car outside wishing he was in Desert Storm. Yeah, so David <laughs> Leach, who we know, again, Action Bonafides will have directed Deadpool 2 and Atomic Blonde and, you know, Sean Hobbs and all of that stuff. He's here in front of the camera and you find out exactly why you'll never see him in front of the camera again. He's got a terrible lisp. He's got no acting presence. And you know what? He's not even really that good at fighting. So yes, he's completely terrible in this film, but he is playing the most popular character. This is Terry Bogard. And this is the character that goes all the way back to Fatal Fury. If it's the most popular character, he has nothing in the game to make him stand out at all because I played him and I was like, meh. I wanted to go back playing Freddy Krueger. He's got a red hat. He's uh, going to make America great again. Yeah, I do appreciate that bit of knowledge that you bring, Stuart, because like, there's a couple scenes where they make a big deal about him wearing that vest coat and the hat, and I'm like, that has to mean something from somewhere, so at least there's some tie. Yeah, he throws it and it's, it like blows up 
things. Like it has, it's a magic red hat. Yeah, the same way the basketball can blow up and things. But I got to take issue with something you said, Stuart. You said that David Leach isn't even that good of a fighter in front of the camera. No, I I believe he is. He was one of the stuntmen in the Matrix films. He was Keanu's stunt double for a lot of those fights. That's how they knew him. That's how they brought him to John Wick. And Ray Park is a goddamn ninja. I've seen this man in person. He warms up a little bit and then does backflips on demand just, you know, to entertain people paying him 20 bucks for an autograph. You say they have bona fides. These people can fight. Why? Why is Gordon Chan doing them so dirty? My favorite punchline of the whole movie is, okay, so everyone is like circling around, holding a glass of wine and like observing these really tacky artifacts. It's like a sword, a mirror, and a necklace. I swear to God, I thought the necklace, they do a close-up. I couldn't tell it was on a neck. I thought there was a chainmail (laughs) G-string. <laughs> Would have been more fun. But anyway, like, so Ray Park's going to make his move and he's going to try and steal it and all that. And what does this room of fighters say? Call 911. <laughs> because we're not going to take on this guy. See, I don't think these are fighters. One of the people there is running the tournament, but I think the only fighter in this entire room is Mai. And of course, her boyfriend, Iori, but he's already won the King of Fighters championship and says he's retired. I believe everyone here either fights in the tournament or sponsors a fighter in the tournament. So everyone would have a connection to someone better than whoever's at the end of 911 and gets that phone call. <laughs> Save us our cheap-ass sword, necklace, and mirror are being stolen by Ray Park. <laughs> The one thing they do right is make Ray Park look imposing here because he's not exceptionally tall. If you see the Phantom Menace, when you really see Darth Maul standing next to Obi-Wan or especially next to Liam Neeson, who's a practical giant, he just is not the tallest person. Now, he's taller than Maggie Q, but he's not the tallest person. And then if he's such a great fighter, I love that his first fight is he shoots a guy. With a gun. Mm. Yeah. And that wasn't even clear. I thought he blew him up how much blood hit that window. I had to watch that scene twice. Like, what happened there? Did somebody just explode? Yeah. And again, we know that this director has directed martial arts movies before. We know that Ray Park, as you say, on demand can do more impressive things for like as a street busker than any moment <laughs> in this film Is it Vancouver? Did Vancouver just have the kind of laws that say we can't have any action? Like, because if you go to Hong Kong, you don't have to be insured. You can just literally dangle your life off a cliff and they'll let you shoot that. But here, I feel like the restrictions are so heavy. Like, if anyone looks like they might even get a boo-boo, shut down production for three days and we'll talk it out at the fish cannery. There's one moment when... Somebody grabs one of those ropes, you know, that like to crowd control ropes mm-hmm. and uses it like a whip. A stanchion, yeah. Yeah, okay, thank you. I did not know what those were called. And grabs Ray Park. I I just hate his name, Rugal. <laughs> so I'm going to call him Ray Park. Yeah. Grabs Ray Park by the neck and flips him and he lands half on and half off the stage. I'm like, that could break his back. I know that Not long after this, Ray Park got a bad injury to his hip, and there were some people 
kind of fat shaming him for his appearance in Solo. And he's like, I can't work out the way I used to. I'm 42 now and I have a bad hip. I wondered if that fall is what took his hip out. I mean, it was a rough looking fall. Well, you're doing this movie favors by saying people are like destroying their hips and like not able to move again. But we don't know that. Yeah, you say that. But Chris Kattan broke his neck making Corky Romano and could never move his head again. Oh, no. I'd have to believe that's happening with everybody and not just Ray Park is what I'm saying. It's like the directive seems to be nobody go crazy here. Yeah, like wave a flag around, shoot a gun. But the last thing we want to see at King of Fighters is someone do any martial arts. Yeah, Here, I'm wanting more than we're getting. We just get a glimpse of the belt thing and then... Ray Park runs away, cuts his own hand, and teleports off, and leaves the sword behind. That kind of confused me at first until we find out the sword's a fake. Right. There are three tribes. Each artifact is owned by a different tribe member, and the sword owners no longer participate. There's this woman, Chizuru, who tasks Mai with finding that sword. Act two begins... And this feels like deep into the movie, but like 20 minutes into this movie feels like years. Uh, <laughs> Maggie Q just suddenly has to go to hospice care and talk to some mute old Asian man. When she runs into Iori there and gives all this exposition that I was told by this person to come talk to this person. And then I saw this person. I'm like, <laughs> when did that happen? It doesn't matter because, yeah, I have no idea why she came to this hospital or what she hopes to get out of a mute. What's he going to say to her? He hasn't talked in the last 10 years. But sure enough, as soon as he sees her boyfriend, he flips out and tries to kill him. We'll find out that there's bad blood because they're members of different clans. And that flashback comes way late. But Iori did... I don't know. He didn't make a mute. Uh, like, he just knocked him on his ass, right? No, bashed his brain in. I'm thinking brain damage. Okay, so he then technically wouldn't have the thinking capacity to recognize him, right? I mean, if he was truly mentally disabled. Stuart, it's this movie. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the yeah. problem with that thinking is, is in a fighting movie, they have to set the bar for what is a finishing blow or what damage a fighter can cause that will have meaning to us as a viewer. And they never do that. Like, it's all just violence for violence sake. We don't know, like, oh, well, this is just a fun fight, or this is a fight for the death. I mean, they do say that, you know, Rugal has now set it up so contestants come in and he's going to kill them for real. But visually, we don't say anything that says, hey, this type of fight move is more dangerous than this type of kick. It's just all kind of up in the air. And before Siaisu attacks Iori and then dies... We get this flashback of Siaisu Young training somebody. Now, I thought the person he was training was young Iori. And that's why when Iori shows up, he's like, I'll kill you. I thought maybe the student betrayed the master. I am not trying to racially profile anybody. But didn't it look like young Siaisu was training an Asian person who then becomes Sean Ferris, who's a white dude named Keo? Yes. Well, here are some facts. 
Sean Ferris does not have an Asian bloodline that he's ever listed in his profile. And yes, his younger self is the child of this Asian man and is played by an Asian child. And so is that a disconnect? Absolutely. It takes a beat to figure out that this fake Tom Cruise is supposed to be this man's son and is going to be the major figure. Again, another fan favorite is Kyo Kusanagi. Yeah, I I was totally surprised that the Asian child grew up to be Sean Ferris. And that, I mean, I could be fine if... I just need the child and the adult of the same character to be the same race. I'm fine. He has a white mother. Okay, that's fine. And he was born lighter skinned than his dad. But that's why I... Again, three watchings before I realized that was not young Iori being trained by young Saisu... And that's why Saisu wakes up and attacks him as I thought it was his former student. No, I'm going to find out by the end of the movie, this whole backstory about Iori and the Orochi and all of this. But man, it is not the cleanest way that you could tell this story. I'm quite convinced in this day and age, there would be a giant cyber protest to the casting of this man in this role, except nobody cares. Like, again, <laughs> no one knows about this property. Like, they just haven't discovered yet. Maybe one year, Sean Ferris will get flamed on the internet for having done this uh, in whiteface, but I don't think people care. Was Ernie Reyes Jr. busy? Because I love Ernie Reyes Jr. and he could do this shit. Yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of people that could do it. But clearly, again, I want to stress the fact that his clean-cut Tom Cruise looks had to be something that they wanted. He was in a modest karate hit in America and had some international play. So they thought this was Van Damme, one of those, Seagal, like somebody that was going to come up and have a real straight-to-tape credibility. (laughs) If such a a concept is not an oxymoron. That's what they thought they had in this guy, that he was going to be a name that you could plaster on DVD boxes for the next 20 years. Here's one huge mistake in my mind about this movie. Our point of view character, the one we center around, is my. Yeah. And I get it, because she is also a fan favorite character. I liked fighting with her. She could throw fans. You know, she had a projectile attack, which meant I could stay the hell away from those people punching me. Let's be clear, though. She's a fan favorite because she's objectified. I don't think she had an interesting backstory at all. My sense was she dated other people, and they were the focal characters of the storylines. But for me, what matters is, can I win with them? Mm-hmm. Everything else is secondary. I could win with little Freddy Krueger. I could win with the guy with the big steel ball. And I could win with Mai. But Mai seems to know what's going on. We get this Keo who doesn't know jack or shit about anything. He's sitting there. I don't think he even knows his dad does martial arts. Except I guess he was trained as a kid. But he's reading philosophy to his dad he doesn't know about the sword he doesn't know about the parallel dimensions this guy should be our point of view character so we can learn as he learns instead of having us learn when maggie q goes and fights bear coat guy and then we have this character who's oblivious to everything and he has to figure it out again and nobody believes it yeah i mean i think there are three main characters four really is that too many I don't know. I mean, there are teams of three in the video game. Seems to me like you want to limit it to like three people coming from different clans. The three clans coming together would be the way to structure this. 
I feel like it is. I feel like we have three main heroes, and it comes together at the end, which is my Iori, and Kyo. And the way everyone ended, you know, you fight three on three until you get to the boss, and then you fight three on one, and the boss is really tough. Yeah, I, again, but I, you're forgetting the guy in the red hat. He's a big deal. He may be a big deal to players, and he may be nice to throw in there, but he's the Kylie Minogue of this movie. You know, what Kylie Minogue was to Van Damme in Street Fighter <laughs> 2. I mean, wow, that's digging deep. I mean, I don't know what anybody was to Van Damme in that movie. I think she was Cammy, and that's a character people liked. Here, he's in it, but definitely a supporting character. He's comic relief. He's bumbling. He's always behind. He's supposed to be head of the operation, and everyone else knows more than him. And he's supposed to be figuring out that this technology transports you to another world, and everyone else knows and believes that except for him. And it will take him most of the movie to get on board. We have a couple other fan-favorite characters in here, because as you might expect, sexy lesbians do become fan-favorite characters. Yeah, so Rugal, now that he has taken two of the artifacts, can take over the tournament. And so he's baiting other players to come into my realm, which, by the way, is a fish cannery with some purple lights, (laughs) and we'll see what happens. And the answer is not much, but, you know, he does get these two lesbians down. And if you're hoping that there's some even, what, PG-13 steaminess, I don't don't think it's there. There's a weird moment in the locker room, because they're like... They just finished a workout or sparring or something when we were introduced to Vice and Mature. Yeah. And what those names, too. I mean, like, <laughs> Mature? Is that a tough name? I'm Mature? Uh, they're part of Prince's entourage. <laughs> yeah. It definitely feels like they're much more part of the revolution uh, Yeah, than they are part of this video game world. Mature was actually a tough fighter, too. I liked fighting with her. She, I believe, in one of the games was partnered with Mai. But in the locker room, they're like, somebody walks out, and you can still see them in the mirror walking out of the room. And one of them, I can't tell which is which in this movie, goes, we're alone now. Takes her over to a bench, and then, like, the worst lap dance ever. 18 to 24 inches away, the one standing up is like writhing and the one on sitting down is moaning like she's being touched but there's no touching <laughs> it is like the most awkward sexy scene i've ever seen yeah my first porno is what this feels like <laughs> it's for the like 10 year old that's just finding out about these things but boy it doesn't do much for anybody else but rugel gets them down and then he's like has them like pick up the phone and call other people and they're like Oh, yeah, it's great. Rugal's like a good boss. Come and fight for him. It'll be really fun. The point is, I think they're following the video game trope that there are some mannequins later. I guess maybe that's happening. I don't know. I do want to give a shout out, though, to the costume designer, because when Vice and Mature get into this parallel dimension and they're fighting against poor Ray Park in a hockey mask and roller skates... Yeah, (laughs) it's just an awkward fight, but they look great in it. Do they? Great. They look great. Nobody looks great, but it's uh, it's something. And I did like the Under Armour product placement on Ray Park's hat. Did you guys notice that? He's wearing the cap backwards just so the words Under Armour can take up much of the frame anytime there's a close up. 
Yeah, I mean, Alienware, laptop, wherever they can get it in. This movie, they didn't have a lot of money. I don't believe they lost any money on this movie because it does feel very much like it has the budget of a one-hour syndicated sci-fi show. I'm also a little bummed because Rugal, he has one red eye. And in the early games, it's like a big deal because he lost his eye, one of the people ripped his eye out, and then he had to get a cybernetic eye, and he wants revenge for losing the eye. I thought Rugal should have lost the eye in one of the early fights, either in the museum, or later on we get a flashback to Rugal losing a different fight to Iori. I thought Iori, when he was under the power of the Orochi, should have ripped out <laughs> Rugal's eye. Establishing a motive. But no, we find in that fight, Rugal <laughs> still had the red eye way back then. Yes, I agree that there should be drama with characters experiencing change and growing and developing. That All of that would be really <laughs> wonderful to see on the screen. But Arnie, we already have established there is no fighting in this movie, so how can he lose his eye in a fight that is non-existent? Well, I just said there was the two-on-one fight. Ray Park got the line, this is every man's fantasy, two girls and a guy. Yeah, that wasn't a fight. That was some kind of elementary school lesbian demonstration. Like, that is barely a coherent concept of, of action. But then we bring in the gamer, right? Oh, God, I forgot about this guy. We actually do bring in the guy who looks like he's playing all these games with his Alienware laptop. I mean, he's balding, he's chubby. I'm like, is he one of the fighters? No, he's the person holding the controller. All I'm thinking is, okay, you have a very niche audience that you're shooting for here anyway. And I'm guessing a good chunk of that small portion of the populace are guys who look like this guy. So let's not spend all your time with this guy making fun of this type of guy because that's the only people that are going to watch your movie. <laughs> yeah, you definitely want to give him a hero moment. He needs to do something that's cool, and I, I don't recall that ever happening in this movie. No, they threatened to send him to Gitmo, but that's about all I remember. Yeah, he is having a fight with the CIA because the CIA at this point feels they can come out of the shadows, out of the surveillance van. They saw some guys shoot up the place. So now they want to take over their laptops. They want to understand this idea of the king of fighter competition happening in another realm. I still want to understand that too, by the way. And we're about 45 <laughs> minutes into the movie. Yeah. It's because they don't have the visuals to make it work. I mean, it'd be one thing if it looked like you know, Inception or something. I feel like they want to do that. When we see Keo, because he doesn't really believe in it for a while, too. You know, he's the character holding out, saying, I don't want to participate, sulking at his dad's grave, and doing a whole lot to stall this movie from getting to an action piece. <laughs> when he finally goes into the realm, it's just a lot of, like, I walked off screen right and come back on screen left, and just really unconvincing home movie kind of special effects. Video toaster. Yeah, totally. I remember that application. The biggest problem I'm having is, is what are the stakes of this other realm? Why does the CIA care? I mean, if it was this other realm, the fighters are there and fighting for the pleasure of the gods, that if they don't, the gods will come and take over our realm or something. But it's just, at the end of the day, it's just this handful of eight people go in there and fight. 
Who cares? Well, you know, we had this chorizo that I think she's kind of the one organizing it. She got hurt and she's been lying in a hospital bed for most of this movie and she'll eventually die and blow away like dandelions. <laughs> she has one line where she lectures about the worth of King of Fighters and she says it isn't real life, but it's a place where you can challenge yourselves and learn to be better when you come back. I think she's like the spokesperson, the PR person for this video game, making the case that... When you play video games, when you do this supposed waste of time thing, you're better off for doing that. It's a fine message for video games, but I'm asking in this movie's logic, what is the consequences for the real world if this virtual world is actually killing people now? It's like, well, he's not recruiting regular people. It's only these people that are already in the know anyway, which seems to be a handful of people. Yeah, I mean, that's the worth of the game to her. But you're saying, why would anyone care that's not playing it? Uh, there is a dragon. There is an Arachi every now and then floating in and out. And I think if tie it back to the storyline that ran through the video games vaguely, it was the idea that it had to be contained by the artifacts. And that if you don't contain it, it could... I don't know. Could it get in the real world? Maybe. Maybe they say that. We do see them merging and demon fighters start going out in the real world that Rugal has corrupted. The problem is the real world looks like a bat glot, so I never know what reality is supposed to be or what's supposed to be this magic king of fighters realm. But yes, I think they do have some lip service to saying that the two worlds are now merging because of magics. When you have legitimate stunt fighters, does it really cost that much to have them fight? Because it feels like we're not getting any of it here. It really does feel like, you know, we do get a brief moment where Mai flips Kiyu and dislocates his shoulder and things. But I'm like, why couldn't that have actually been a fight? Does I guess Kiyu doesn't know he can fight, right? He has no idea that he was trained as a kid or well again this gets back to my idea of maybe you don't have to be think of it from the video game perspective as you've already said a lot of the people that love fighting games aren't necessarily in fighting shape but that's the whole thing they can still get something out of that so Kiyo, who by the way looks very much like he's in shape but he comes from the world of motorcycle maintenance he has no idea about all of this kung fu stuff until he puts on the earpiece and then pull out the sword and do it. I, yeah, it's, it's difficult to know because you're right. We did see one scene of him as a very small child training, but my sense is that he hasn't, it's rusty. He hasn't done that in decades, maybe. I tried to figure this out and maybe I'm digging too deep, but do you think he's a motorcycle repairman because of the book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance? Maybe, I don't know, or maybe that we're just filming the fish cannery is right next door to a bike shop, would be my guess. <laughs> and it looked kind of cool in Tron Legacy, so why not? Yeah, Tom Cruise rides a motorcycle and looks cool in Top Gun. I mean, I definitely feel like they were it's a star-making role. This is not a moment that is meant to be for action. It's supposed to be sexy, right? Because then she has to take off his shirt and pop his dislocated shoulder back in and... But I don't think they ever have sex. Like, I just feel like this movie can't deliver on anything. Is it PG-13? It is unrated. Oh, okay. And, I mean, it feels PG-13 at best. It feels PG. That's what I'm saying. Like, where's the 13? Like, I want just a little bit more here because there's just, it's so bland. 
oh, come on, some million mom march would have problems with lesbianism in a PG film. Well, and there's awful lot of upskirt crotch shots in some of these fights, too, as they're falling down stairs and over banners and just wearing, you know, small little panties under those skirts. It's like you said, it's it's a starter porno for younger kids at, at some points. I would let my kids, if I had kids, I'd let them watch this because it put them to bed faster. Like, seriously, like go to bed five minutes of this. They're out and I'm done for the night. Like, it's great. There's nothing offensive about this movie, except that it's not trying to be offensive. It's amazing how little happens in the next part of this movie where, yeah, Mai is outed as a CIA agent to no real effect whatsoever. Iori kind of just stalks off, but then he's going to come back later. And we get a couple more people going to this alternate dimension. We do see Iori gets teleported in and has to fight Mature and Vice and smoke starts coming out of his eyes. And that's where we're supposed to realize he has the Orochi in him, which makes me wonder how the Orochi appeared in that fight at the beginning if it's been in Iori the whole time. Based on the game, it's in the characters' bloodlines. Everyone in that whole clan has been touched by Orochi, and therefore that's why their eyes turn all silver or whatever. They can just kind of go berserker mode like Wolverine. But we see... Later on in the flashback, yeah, that Iori is losing a fight, and the CGI snakes show up, and he sticks his hand up and takes the snakes into himself. Right, yeah. So how are the snakes still floating around for other people? You can debate that all you want. It's because that was the one effect that was finished that they could do, Arnie. That was the one thing they hired the special effects company and said, you can make an alternate dimension, right? Oh, sure. You can do all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. No, we can make a goddamn snake float down, and that's it. Again, you're giving them way too much credit. You think there was a special effect company? I think there was a kid in Vancouver who was like, I can make snake. Yeah, no, I, I, that's the company that I speak of, and it's borderline unprofessional. I have to remind myself this came out in 2010, because I don't watch a lot of fan films. But when I'm at Comic-Con, sometimes they're airing. I saw Batman vs. Predator and some of these others. I've seen some lightsaber fight fan films. All of them had better action and better special effects than this, and they were coming out either before or around the time of this. Yeah, this was done on the very cheap. All the money that they had went to these names. There was nothing left to do. These names cost $12 million? I mean, Maggie Q's... This cost $12 million? That's what Wiki says. <laughs> I, don't, I doubt it. I, I'm just going to dispute that as untrue. That doesn't, doesn't feel true. Well, you know, in Canada, when you shoot in Canada, you get half of your money on a Canadian production from the government. So they could pad that out, and this could have only cost like $3 million, and some people could have made some money. I Yeah, I, I, it just doesn't look... You, you mentioned fan film, and, and the more I look at this, it definitely feels like... Yeah, TV episode. Again, I keep a lot of TV in that sci-fi realm is shot in Vancouver. That's what they're known for, and it just it has that look about it. The thought I had when I did see Iori fighting Vice and Mature was there were some angles where they went canted and things and the lighting i did have a moment where i'm like this has the production values of the generation x tv movie and then i'm like no i gotta be honest this is better effects than that and the video quality is better because this is shot on digital and that looked like it was shot on vhs but it's not much better and it is on par 
there's a reason I don't watch a lot of those DC or superhero television shows. That's because every time Hawkman has to fly or have those wings come out or somebody shoots a lightning bolt, it looks like shit. It really looks bad on television budget, and that's what I feel I'm watching here. And yes, if it wasn't for now playing, I would not still have been watching this movie at this time. I kind of feel bad for Maggie Q, because out of all of them, I feel like she might be doing the most there, or at least maybe I'm finding her the most appealing. Hard to say, but she's better than this. Yeah, maybe if it had just been her movie and not a team-up movie... No, the more I think about it, there's no saving this. There's nothing here to save. This is a bad film that should not have existed. Like I said, the biggest thing that made King of Fighters unique is that it's a team. So you needed to have that team. I mean, when and boy, do they do that. Everyone grabs an artifact at the end and uses artifact power to trap the CGI snake. And it's, it's fantastic, really. We do finally get to the flashback at this moment because the three have teamed up against Rugal, and that's when Rugal reveals and we see the flashback, it was not I, it was Iori who put your father in that coma. And we see he was losing a fight to Rugal, and he grabs the Orochi, and he not only beats up Rugal, but then he continues to pummel him when he's down, and when the others try to stop him, yeah, he grabbed Keo's dad's head and just smashed it again and again and again into cement. Yeah, Iori was a villain character in the early games, and they just liked him so much that they used that, and they made him anti-hero. And so they're trying to retain that here by showing that he has a dark past and that he's hurt the character that allegedly we all like, which is Keo. I'm just chuckling at this scene because it's set in a park that has somewhat Asian architecture in the background, but not necessarily, and there's snow all over the place. And I can't help but think... Whoever was shooting it or designing the set or picking the location had like this grand Kill Bill style shot in <laughs> mind, you know, where, where they're in the garden and the snow falls slowly and it's exactly five minutes. This is just like somebody came through with a snowblower two minutes before. <laughs> and there's just piles of blown snow in the background. <laughs> well, it makes you wonder how many of these terrible movies we've seen. And boy, we've seen a lot. Like if they threw more money at this, we might find this except you know there's a certain level of technical acceptance that we could blanket over these screen writing problems but when you have this level of production there's nothing to cover up how threadbare all of this is it's just it looks i mean i think they are literally using homeless people here in the end it's like they're in an alley and like all, who are all these people in trench coats i think they literally just went to a soup kitchen and said go <laughs> i thought they were david leach's friends i, I but they don't do any fighting. They're just wandering around flaming barrels of trash. Either way, they were willing to take punches to the face for five bucks for the day. So Yeah, it's bum fights. That's what we're literally reduced to watching bum fights. And you say David Leach's character is a fan favorite, but this is who he fights. This is the entire point of him in this movie is he's like, you go on. I'll fight the bums. Well, and Dice and Mature. Like the two lesbians are kind of on him and he does something with a hat. But basically, you're right. It's for the main three to team up. Mai is not... There's something about her past that gets teased. Chiruzu is like, I know who you really are. Are we supposed to think that she's some long-lost clan member of hers? Because all these artifacts are from one of the three different clans. In order for her to hold on to the third clan mirror, I would think, 
you know, I don't want to keep talking about clans, give the wrong idea, but you, you know what I'm talking about. Like, it feels like they had a reveal that they didn't quite pull the curtain back on was the fact that she was her daughter or connected in some way to this clan with the mirror so that she would actually have some level of importance to this final mirror necklace sword battle at the end. The worst part of this whole movie, okay, it was a not recommend. It was a flaming red arrow at, you know. And I will say this, there is a couple of things from the game they bring in, like the flame effects. When they punch and flames come out, that is something from the games that you could do. You could catch people on fire with your fists, and that was kind of cool. I'm seeing them try to be a little bit true to the games. Yeah. But then at the end, they do what the games do. We have Rugal, and he takes out Mai. And then he takes out Iori, and then it's down to him and Kyo, and it looks like Kyo's down. But then it's like they ripped off the end of The Last Dragon because Kyo suddenly realizes he has the power of the glow. Or the end of Mortal Kombat, where Liu Kang realizes he is the chosen one. But instead of Kyo being like, I am the chosen one, and now I'm going to kick Ray Park's ass, it's, I am the chosen one. I'm going to throw this sword and uh, Ray Park is just going to turn into a CGI pile of ash. That is not the end I want to a martial arts movie. Yeah. I think we're all going to sign a petition. No martial arts in Vancouver movie again. <laughs> like if, if I want to see this kind of Kung Fu, it's got to be done in Hong Kong. I am not going to blame our good friends to the North for this piece of shit. Everyone has proven themselves in this genre. The only one that hasn't is Vancouver. So that's <laughs> that's what I'm blaming. Deadpool was shot in Vancouver, and it was much better effects than this. But Ray Park disappears, and then Tio and Mai are like, well, see you around. Have fun running the tournament. Yeah, but we get Ghost Dad with some final words of wisdom as he stares off into space from a soundstage and... <laughs> A little bit of a cliffhanger. There's somebody I'm guessing you should recognize if you're a game player sitting on a bench on a pier that looks back and pretends the possibility of a King of Fighters 2 to come. I think it's Iori. I think it's like they did eventually team up in King of Fighters 97 or something like that. Like, yes, the idea that these mortal clan enemies are going to hash it out for a sequel. Ha. Yeah. Good luck with that. But yeah, that was Iori on the pier. Was it? Okay, just the way he looked was like, ha ha ha, recognize me. I was like, should I? No, you shouldn't. <laughs> Justin Stewart, do you recommend the King of Fighters? Justin. No, Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will be quick because there's, there was just nothing to sink my teeth into here. But like coming in, no expectations, really didn't have any history with this game. And when I went to look it up, I was like, oh, yeah, if I did see this game back in the day, I probably would have just said, oh, it's a Street Fighter ripoff and not paid much attention to it. And it kind of feels like the people who made this movie kind of did the same thing. It was like, oh, it's a Street Fighter ripoff. Let's not do much with it. But then to hear Arnie talking about some of these cool characters that were in the game and the fans of the game that would like to see those, they could have made something different and cool here. We could have seen cool big characters having fights and stuff like that. But this movie, it didn't know what it wanted to be and what it wanted to do. And it just... I mean, we said it all already. It felt like a movie that you might catch on the sci-fi network at 3 a.m. and forget that you ever saw. 
that's all it ever will be and that's all it ever should be. So even if you're a fan of this game, I don't think there's much for you here. So I'm, I'm going to give it a big red arrow, big not recommend. Stuart. Yeah, we've covered quite a few fighting game adaptations at this point. And none of them have been good. I just want to put out there, I have disliked all of them. You have disliked all of them, but Mortal Kombat is good. There are a few, like Mortal Kombat, that at least understand the appeal of the source material. And they deliver some level of juvenile fun. I would also throw in DOA Dead or Alive. is one that almost kind of half works. You know, they at least took you to the arena. They showed you some fan-favorite characters. They made you pump your fist once or twice. Feel some, maybe in some alternative dimension, like you were being entertained. It isn't that hard to do to do that. You know what I mean? To just be a bad movie that is going to mince and show off the characters. King of Tournaments, you know, the problem was, it's not that the video toaster effects, it's not the magic artifacts with the artifacting digital effects, it's not the new metal that, is it new metal at this point when it's 10 years beyond Incubus? I don't even think it's new metal, it's like old metal. It's NU, so yeah, it's still new metal. But yeah, they have enough raw materials to deliver a punch. Cheese can hit you hard if you deliver it right. If you have the filmmakers willing to wind up and and just sock it to you. But the problem is, it's in the script. The script calls off the tournament, and so does the movie. All these characters are stuck with an earpiece on, saying, Can I please connect with a fight? Nope. They will never get one good action scene. They don't even fail. They forfeit. This is a movie that actually is going to forfeit to Legend of Chun-Li. That is the victor here. And so my theory is always that it's better to be mockable than dull. And this is one of the most dull. It's not the most dull. That Tekken 2, nobody can take it away from you, Tekken 2. You are one of the most (laughs) boring movies of all time. But it definitely is one of the most forgettable games in the arcade. The king of flaccidity here is absolutely monotonous i can't believe you have so much talent on screen that you waste it i mean ray park looks no better in this movie than the bad cgi snakes it is not hard to take this game and make a movie out of it doa and mortal Kombat did it i mean the game the entire premise is there's a fighting competition and you go and yes there is somebody behind it and it changes arc to arc it's you know either an ancient spirit with a tattoo of eight heads on his chest or it's a evil corporation involved in dna splicing that wants to find the best fighters but by the time you're in even king of fighters like 99 it's a global sport by king of fighters 14 they're like Two and a half billion people are tuning in. Well, let's get 20 billion people turned in. Well, the population of the Earth is 7 billion. Can we just deal with 7 billion? I mean, everybody knows about the tournament. So just have a tournament. It's not that hard to rip off Enter the Dragon. That's exactly what I was trying to say. Just like, it's right there in front of you. You don't even have to work for it. Like, just do the thing. Yes. Do the thing that people put the quarters in. Yes. And, and, and someone will kind of half like it. Otherwise, what exactly are you trying to get from the property that you're adapting for whatever reason you're adapting it? I mean, I kind of got it with Tekken, that Tekken had a bunch of mystical stuff and all of that that had it going on. And there was a lot of story to Tekken watching those Tekken anime and things, I got why you didn't just focus only on the tournament. But every other fighting game I've played, it's all about the tournament, 
just do that. Don't do parallel dimension Bluetooth headsets. Imagine how much more money they could have spent on the fighting if they didn't have Bluetooth headsets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, literally, in 2010, Bluetooth headsets probably cost around 50 bucks a piece. That's a couple extra high kicks. If I heard you correctly, all they had to do was paint a dragon on someone's chest. They didn't have to hire the computer graphics guy. Exactly. And put in tiny Freddy Krueger and the big fat guy with the metal ball. Pick characters who are visually interesting. I mean, that's something even Street Fighter did right, is bring in Zangief and attempted Blanca. I mean, bring in the unique-looking characters. Try to, you know, just all I need is a burly guy with a beard. I can find one of them at my local post office. I mean, that's all you need in this movie. And then the little person, Freddy Krueger, that's a little harder to cast, but I'm sure there's somebody out there who fits the bill. I mean, seriously... I came into this movie after playing the games and been like, I can't wait to see this movie. And then I couldn't wait for this movie to be over. It is yet another, I mean, I can't, I can't even quantify or put in order all the shit video game movies we have done. Yeah. I put a list out on Letterboxd of all the video game movies we've reviewed and I put star ratings on Letterboxd. And so many of them are one star. And how do I put in order the worst movies I've ever seen? <laughs> this is among them. What a fucking waste of time. Not recommend. Maybe I got something for you, Arnie. If you want to see a much better version of this story, in 2017, a 24-part web series animated. 24-part? I'm already out. Tap no, out. No. It is. It's 90 minutes too long, a three-hour experience. I sat through it start to finish, and the computer graphics are so-so. Sometimes they're not bad, and sometimes, well, you know, you could tell, like, they slacked off that week. You know, they put it out episodically. Eventually, it was collected. But it is the story of Rugal hijacking the King of Fighters. And it's got a lot of fan service. It's got the guy with the big ball. It's got the little Freddy Krueger. It's got characters, all of the ones from here, and a whole lot more. You'll learn their backstories. You'll see their moves. You'll know what the property is having watched it. Unlike something like this where you're like, I don't know what they were going for. With someone just interested in paint swaps or something. I kept feeling like maybe someone just wanted to paint their house purple. And that's why they kept walking through different shades of purple in that fish cannery. But yeah, King of Fighters is probably, yeah, if you, if you made it 90 minutes, I would say it would be a mild not recommend. I did watch three episodes of it. So that was, what, 45 minutes or so. And it's better than this movie, but I decided I'd rather spend my time doing research for the show, playing the game some more. I, the game is actually fun. I really strongly recommend the one that came out recently, and by recent it was 2016, for the PlayStation 4. It was responsive, it had good graphics, it brought most of my favorite characters back, added a bunch of new ones. They're coming out with a new one, I hear, this year. Okay. I never believe that the movies are a reflection of the property. I mean, I'm wise enough at this point to realize that what makes a game good rarely, if ever, gets translated into the movie itself. I'll be amazed if they ever make a movie that's more fun than the game. Yeah, this one ate our quarter. Can we get it back? Go play the game. It was a nice find, and beyond that, this was not fun. But, man... 
I feel like I'm jumping out of the frying pan into the fire because the next movie we're doing is an Uva Bowl period piece with Burt Reynolds. Yeah, in the name of the king, people. King of Fighters is just the warm-up for the worst filmmaker of all time to return to now playing for three weeks. Starting next Tuesday, it is Uva at his most expensive. I, I believe he's peaking in this moment. It's 2008, and he's got Jason Statham on the hook to star in his Lord of the Rings ripoff, based on a video game I've never heard of called Dungeon Siege. Yeah, we get to dive headfirst back into the bowl, don't we? Mm, can't wait. And in the meantime, if you like good movies, maybe you do. I don't know why you're listening to the show, but this Friday the 13th, Silver Level Donation Begins. We're talking about one of the most discussed and wild slasher movies of the last year, Us by Jordan Peele. So we hope you'll join us this Friday. It is the kickoff to our spring donation series, which we recently announced. I mean, there's a lot of good movies being discussed here. At the Silver Level, Us being with Jordan Peele is the lead-in to our Candyman retrospective because Candyman is being rebooted this summer by Jordan Peele. And then our gold level with all the Tom Cruise movies, we're doing Risky Business, Rain Man, Top Gun, Top Gun Maverick, but it's really his 80s heyday and then a Top Gun duology. And then at the platinum level, you can do some more acclaimed horror. We're going to do A Quiet Place and the sequel, which as of this recording, I'm hoping still comes out and isn't pushed due to the coronavirus. And then... To finish up, since we like to do three movies for Platinum, Bird Box. And if you missed them earlier, we're also bringing out the Purge retrospective series again. It hasn't gotten even a teaser poster yet, but there's a Purge movie coming out this summer. Yeah, I'm wondering if it is. And then, also, there is a Ghostbusters movie coming out this summer. We know that. There's the trailer, there's a poster. I saw the director in New York. Although, it looks more like Stranger Things, I will say that. But they call it Ghostbusters. So all of that can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. So, listeners, thank you for suffering through the King of Fighters with us. Don't watch the movie. You'd be better off buying a Neo Geo on eBay. Justin Stewart, thank you for being my team through this fight. I ain't going to fight you over this one. You could have it all. You're the king, man. I feel like we're the team of three who had to beat up whoever made this movie. (laughs) I feel beat up. I do. Until next time. Game over. I am King Fellas. Then why don't you stop all of this and come back to the real world? This world is all I need. Here, I'm immortal. This isn't life. This is where we come to challenge ourselves and learn so we can be better in the real world. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. I mean, I lost, but it was a lot of fun. We hope you've enjoyed the show. This journey has brought you true friends. Trust them. Come back to nowplayingpodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Wow, this just keeps getting better and better. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. 
This is all happening in real time. This is amazing. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Why does this place smell? We're on a budget. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. What do you want from me? I need your help. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Don't all answer at once. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month, plus even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. It can give you great strength and power. That's addictive and destructive. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. You have to talk to him, please. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Please, follow me. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Look at you. The way they treat you, you'd think you were the King of Fighters. Associate produced by Jason Latham. Can you have two King of Fighters? It's the first time for everything. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. That's not fighting. Technically, that's you taking a beating. Now Playing credits read by Brock. It's good to see the team back together again. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. You know one lost soul can recognize another. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. There's a cell in Gitmo with your name on it. CIA can't do that anymore. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Come on, this is boring. Let's mix it up a bit. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2020. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Thanks for looking over my blog, but I gotta get going. One of my favorites was me, who I just thought was so funny because in this, in this, you mean my? Yeah. yeah. One of the characters. Like you're one of the characters. (laughs) It's amazing. They here. It's hard to know what the characters' names are because the voiceover in this is Korean, and it's like. Wins, and I'm like, who are you saying? I, I, I didn't ever know character names. I just knew their designs. <laughs> Chiruzu is like, I know who you really are. Chorizo, whatever the hell. I love chorizo. I know. Don't it's you wish tasty. you were eating it instead of <laughs> shitting it? <laughs> Rychak. Well, I just blanked on it. Uh, Roadbuck. Rogaine. Rogel. Rugal. 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 <laughs>